0: Welcome to Essential Wisdom Inspiring Future Female Physicians, a podcast for engaging and informing the next generation of women in medicine. My name is Carrie DeBell. I'm a fourth year medical student at the Frank H. Netter MD School of Medicine at Quinnipiac University. Essential Wisdom is a podcast for discussing the joys and the challenges of being a woman in medicine through the sharing of stories and advice by women who mentor us. Take a seat with me at the desks of the mentors. Come along to walk the halls of the hospitals to experience residency and life as a physician personally, as we get to know these phenomenal physicians and scientists. Hello everyone and welcome to Essential Wisdom Inspiring Future Female Physicians. My name is Carrie, and I'm thrilled that you decided to join us today. Help me welcome Dr. Kelly Cruzio. Dr. Cruzio is an assistant professor of medical sciences at the Frank H. Netter, MD, School of Medicine at Quinnipiac University. She completed her bachelor's of science at Fairfield University and received her PhD in immunology and microbiology from Georgetown University. She has spent time studying viruses, leukemias, and molecular mechanisms of disease. Her research has been focused on translational and post-translational modifications and mutations, in particular, those that lead to leukemia. As a faculty member at Quinnipiac, she has the joy of teaching immunology and microbiology to medical students while continuing to study her research interests in the lab. Dr. Cruzio, welcome to Essential Wisdom. Thanks for having me.
1: Please tell us a little bit about your path to becoming a female scientist.
2: Great. So um, since I was a young child, I was always interested in figuring how things worked. And I remember, for me, even starting as early as in eighth grade, when I won um, the science fair, um, the local science fair, thinking, I found my thing. I love this thing. This is so much fun. Mm-hmm. And um, so I went on to Fairfield University on an academic scholarship. And I had this wonderful mentor who was a great teacher and a scientist. And... Um, and I was the first woman in my family to attend university, so I really wasn't informed about the different options for me in the scientific world. But by working in our lab and getting to know her, she really encouraged me to get my PhD and um, you know, told me the ins and outs of um, how accessible it was and, and how to do that. So that was really mm-hmm. what put me along um, and pushed me to go and become a scientist.
1: What was she studying at the time of in college?
2: Oh, so she was studying in Canada, Albicans, so she was a mycologist. Um, And so, yeah, she really taught me the first. um, She was my first microbiology teacher and immunology teacher. And um, yeah, and so I really learned all of these things through her. And she was such a wonderful teacher. So, um, yeah, it was really how I got interested in those fields in general. It's really funny thinking back and looking back at it. It was the courses that she really taught me. And I just remember being, you know, listening and learning about those things and thinking it was just fascinating. And there was so much complexities and how much it really um, affected, you know, human day to day life was just some of these very basic microbes or, you know, your body's interaction through the immune system with them. So,
1: yeah, yeah, that's amazing that you were able to have a female mentor at that stage in your career. That's not that common
2: no no <laughs> she, you know she was really wonderful and i i think it does it for me it really highlights how important mentorship is and um mm-hmm. and and somebody who you know is willing to you know take you under your, your their wing and kind of show you the ins and outs and, and give you their insight for what worked for them what didn't um she had a very similar background to mine um she also was local, you know, grew up in Connecticut, and so you know, um, we had a lot of common things to kind of bond on uh, with besides, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, and, and so that just helped as well.
1: Wow. And when you did, did you have conversations like similar to this podcast, like asking about what it would look like to be a woman in um, an academic lab, et cetera, at the time, or was it mostly just the ins and outs of what to do to get to your uh, graduate-level work?
2: no we did she also had children um we talked about um you know the yeah the ins and outs of of um having being a scientist being at a competitive lab um versus maybe labs that weren't doing you know do still doing good research but probably weren't um you know at the you know the highest uh cutting edge kind of research which often required um you know, lots of animal models and things like that. So lots of money and funding. And so kind of trade-offs that you make along the way um, to kind of have a balance. And, and I think that's something, those, those things are still stuff that I think about now, you know, the balances and the trade-offs that you make um, in order to kind of keep, you know, your priorities straight. So you may not be able to do all the things that you want to do, you know, as, um, you know, at the top level for every single aspect of your life, but, you know, that you, you prioritize what you're, you're going to contribute the most of your time to at that Mm -hmm. time and know that the trade-offs. Yeah.
1: Would you talk a little bit about what it looks like to be working in like a top level academic lab? I know that was a part of your career trajectory. So I was wondering if you could just share a little bit more about that.
2: Yeah. So, um, so I was really fortunate to be at this really amazing lab at, um, NYU and, um, and while I was there, um, really got to do a lot of um, very neat research. We have focused on um, uh, leukemia, and I was able to work with mice and, and use transgenic mice to model certain mutations that we saw in um, patients with leukemia. And um, and while it was a lot of fun, and, and it was also really demanding, and so it was a lot of hours and a lot of weekends and a lot of... Um, um, nights, um, where, you know, you would, um, I was working, I have also had children at the same time. So I had my first two children while I was working in that lab, which was, um, which was, it was tough. And and I think that, uh, trying to, um, balance, um, doing, you know, having your first child and, um, and trying and knowing that you're working on something that you know other labs are probably working on as well we had some really exciting data and I knew um, other labs might be working on it as well and so trying to um, mm. you know feel torn between oh um, you know my child is coming I was heavily pregnant at the time and <laughs> and and also mm. wanting to finish up in labs so you can get a paper out um, and you uh, so so that was tough and i think having systems in place knowing that you know you know preparing for that knowing that you're okay i'm gonna have to take a break um and, and and being prepared to um have somebody fill in for you or help you out during those periods so i had a really wonderful graduate student at the time who was able to keep the project going while i had mm-hmm. my child but but those were that was a tough time at um but it was, you know, again, really exciting science, but lots and lots of hard work and stress of, you know, being concerned that somebody else was publishing your data or, um, you know, you weren't getting things done quick enough, but also wanting to be there for your family. So, so yeah, time is always um, too little in those kinds of situations. Yeah,
1: wow. That's amazing. I can't even imagine, one, just being at a research lab that, you know, you're at a point where you're really competing with, others for innovative signs and having at such a pertinent moment of your personal life. This is, must have been wild, but um, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the transition from like graduating college, knowing you wanted to be a scientist to getting to being in a, a top lab. you know, like how, how did you take those steps and what took you into that trajectory after you finish school,
2: yeah. So, um, so again, I I'll go back to that mentor. So I knew. So I started yeah. into PhD programs in my senior year in college. Um, okay. Because, because of this mentor, that she, you know, she really helped me and said, "Okay, this is." You know, she kind of guided me through that process, and. Um, I was again working in our lab during that time, and so she helped me. Um, and she, you know, we talked about schools, different kinds of research I was thinking about doing, and she kind of guided me um, to help me make a decision about where to go for graduate school. Um, mm-hmm. So I ended up at Georgetown, um, but that was also her alma mater, so um, that's not surprising. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, so once. Um, I was down there, you know, making a decision actually to stay with immuno and micro um, really came from a lot of the interactions of stuff I was studying there um, because the first year or so um, in graduate school, I took a lot of courses with medical students. And so again, I really reinforced the idea that micro and immuno um, had so much um, relevance to, to human health. And that's for me, was really exciting about it. It wasn't something that I was um, esoterically kind of philosophizing about um, somewhere, and, and that it was just science for science. It was really something that I saw could have a direct impact on human health, and for me, that was really important. So that really helped guide mm-hmm. me into the field that I was um, that, I'm, that I did research in. Hmm,
1: that's interesting. Do you think that your interest when you were young like looking at science fairs etc were they also in kind of microbiology and that theme of things or did that really come up in college
2: um that really came up um in college i remember that like my eighth grade <laughs> science fair project was really more about the environment and um mm-hmm. i'm um the ozone um the hole in the ozone layer and and mm-hmm you know chlorofluorocarbons and all the things that were affecting that and impacting the hole in the ozone layer so you know for me it was at at the younger age was really trying to figure things out and you know how does that work why does that happen and how can I fix that Um, and it Mm. was really not until I got into undergrad that I really thought wow, immunology is so cool and it's so complex and how, you know, how does that ever work well for someone? That's what I remember thinking. You know, <laughs> <laughs> how, you know, how are we all not have some kinds of disease because of you know the complexities of molecular biology and you know, the immune system? And so I just thought that was really neat.
1: Mm. Yeah, geez. I mean, even just having learned what we learned our first couple of years at Queen's, I can appreciate that awe. Like, how are we all still alive? I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Um, if you had to pick, like, something you knew at the stage of your career that you were in graduate school, looking back on it, what is something that you thought you wish you had known?
2: Yeah, so well, I, I think the advice I would have given to myself early in my graduate career was to probably start working on more than one project. Um, when I started mm-hmm. off early in grad school, that you re- rotate through a number of labs, and then you get um, and then you pick your lab, and um, and I, again, was really fortunate to be working um, in a lab that was working on MS, and I really thought the molecular biology of the T-cells and, and how that impacted um, the disease progression in MS was really fascinating. But I, I was working on a project that kind of stalled for a while, and um you know, that's tough as a graduate student because you kind of get stuck in a rut. And if you're only really working on one project, it can delay your graduation. Um, There's lots of Mm. long time banging your head up against the wall. So I think I would tell myself to probably try to be involved with multiple projects in your labs that you can kind of put together a story you know, mm-hmm. from the data that that you have, and not every project's going to work out, but um, you'll still be able to get something published. If or your likelihood is increased if you have multiple projects going on.
1: Hmm. Wow, that's great advice, and I think applicable to anybody that's interested in like the health professions as well. You know, and you're designing whatever you want to do your research on in medical school too. It can be really easy to get stuck on one thing if it's something you're interested in but if it's not going forward you know sometimes it's just not meant to deliver a, a successful result.
2: No I agree and I think you know sometimes it's kind of knowing when yeah. you let something go you know I think it's mm-hmm. tough particularly when you're just starting out um, but you know when to stop beating your head up against the wall and you know trying to have a plan B or, or you know be working on a plan B maybe not as much or as with as much time as you're you know, plan A, but just certainly having that on the back burner in case something falls through.
1: Yeah, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Sure. What is one of the greatest rewards that you receive in your field? So that obviously can be whether it's like the aspects of teaching that you're doing now or just in the science itself, something that you just absolutely love.
2: Yeah, for me, um, I think within the science um, world and in and, and doing research, basic science research for me it's really when your data comes together when you have a hypothesis and even if the data comes back contrary to what you were thinking having some data and letting it tell you a story and putting that story together has really been something that's you know you get the and just this happiness <laughs> kind of high honestly mm-hmm. um, of just you know feeling that you've accomplished something and, and being able to put that even very small story out into the field and, and, watch mm-hmm. it either, you know, move the field along a little bit. And so that's, that's really mm-hmm. been something that's been a real um, something that I love that, you know, brings me back to doing basic science all the time is chasing that kind of, you know, desire to put something out there that, you know, really um, moves the story along, um, you know, a, the, if With teaching, it's really you know watching those the students, and it's not every student, but certainly the students who feel that same sort of awe about the science, and you see that yeah. sometimes, and, and yeah, that's something that always strikes me um, as well as just, you know, very cool being able to share that with somebody and also seeing their appreciation of it.
1: Yeah, one of the themes that I've kind of noticed going through these podcast episodes is just the idea of, I mean, one, just being passionate about what you do is important, but also the element of science and medicine and teaching that all converge is this desire to seek curiosity and then to see other people do the same. You know, like that's like so cool to see yeah. somebody light up because they just find that scientific fact just as interesting as you, you know, exactly. so I am <laughs> Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Really yeah, when you have that connection, or like, yeah, it is really cool. That's really cool. So, yeah, um, yeah, that's something that's that's brought me a lot of uh, joy in doing that.
1: Do you think that there are any particular parts to uh, science and teaching that are rewarding because you are a female scientist?
2: Mm, that's a good question. Um, hmm. I mean, for me, it goes back to mentorship. I think I'm so grateful mm-hmm. for the mentors that I've had and um, being able to, um, you know, help people or, you know, mentor other women, um, scientists or, or, you know, med stu- students who are kind of grappling with the same decisions of, you know how do I manage this and how do I balance that? Um, That's been something that I really appreciated about having that, Mm -hmm. working with students and as a woman. Um, Yeah, I think that's been something that I really appreciated Mm -hmm. in my way, a small, small way to give back to those who have helped me in that way.
1: That's great. Yeah, I can relate to, I mean, having had great mentors, you know, really appreciating that, so an important thing so we love that you do it as well um what is one on the flip side of that same question what is one of the barriers that you face in science being a woman
2: yeah it goes I you know I really it goes back to trying to have enough time um I feel um you know just and going back to even that original story of, um, you know, being in lab and, and trying to get your work done, but also being, you know, nine months pregnant and, and not being able to yeah. um, just do as much as you wanted to do because you're just <laughs> physically exhausted because that's where you're at in your um, pregnancy. So, you know, there's those kind of physical barriers th- that are frustrating mm-hmm. um, you know, not having, um, just not having enough time to do everything as well as you, as you want, um, and, and having to make trade-offs because of that. Um, yeah, I, you know, I think that that's been the toughest barrier that I've been, um, I've I've had to encounter of just, you know, yeah, trying to make decisions, um, I wouldn't even say decisions, but, you know, trying to balance all of those things. There was just, you know, we wanted to have children and I was very excited and happy to have it, but um, it was something that affected my career trajectory that may not have been the same for a man who had to, was working on certain projects and then, you know, left on maternity leave,
1: uh, if that yeah. makes
2: Yeah. So.
1: Yeah, no, that's important because I, this actually hasn't come up on any of my episodes yet. And I love that you mentioned it because like no matter what you do, like that there is a physical toll that having children takes on you and like you can't take that away, you know, like that is an intrinsic barrier to your productivity if you're exhausted because right. you're pregnant or yeah. nursing overnight or whatever, like I just, you can't take that away. And that's such an important point to bring up. I really appreciate that. I
2: mean, it's a, you know, I, and I, I have a wonderful partner who would do anything, you know, but I mean, yeah, he can't, he couldn't carry the baby. So yeah. It's not, <laughs> yeah. It's not something, um, but yeah, so there's that always. And, um, and, and, and that's, I mean, also uh,
0: Yeah.
1: So I, so in the process of trying to achieve some sort of balance or sensibility to all that, um, do you have any daily habits that you follow that you think are particularly effective?
2: Yeah. So, um, I particularly a a daily habit and I, I get, it goes back to my family I, is, is sitting down to dinner. Um, I mean, one mm. thing for sure is, um, sitting down to dinner with all of our, our family, um, is really important. Um, and, uh, something that we try to do, even though sometimes my husband and I have opposite schedules and he's going in for a night shift and I'm coming home from work, but we still try to squeeze in some time, um, you know, together as a family and, um, I think it's particularly mm-hmm. grounding. It keeps things in perspective for me, if things, you know, ever, for anyone who's having a bad day at work, you know, to hear, you know, to talk to your kids, to talk to your partner, those are always, for me, really important. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's always been something that's a priority in our family, and it's been helpful to me. Um, mm-hmm. uh, other things as well, like, you know, yoga and running have also been, you know, um, some things that have helped as far as wellness to kind of keeping your balance
1: yeah how do you navigate including that self-care aspect like doing yoga or going for a run when like you're in your busy season do you try to do you try to just do it like once a week or what's your process for getting through that
2: yeah um having, (laughs) setting a little bit of a low bar (laughs) for me, (laughs) not giving myself extra stress and hard time if I didn't get to do it in when I wanted to. Um, But, but yeah, actually it's setting the timer, you know, the timer, the alarm a little bit Mm -hmm. earlier in the day. And yeah, when my busy season really busy with teaching as well, then I really kind of, then it becomes a once a week thing and, really heavily scheduled, you know, everything is a little bit um, more disciplined in, in terms of scheduling, you know, scheduling time, not just for wellness for myself, but also having scheduling time to make sure I get to, you know, go out with my husband or making sure I'm, you know, scheduling time to just have the weekend off to be there with my kids with no phones, you know, so making sure that Mm. those, those things are in there. Um, and, and particularly in my busy season, I have to go out of my way to kind of put it in my schedule to make sure that that happens. And, and again, yeah, unfortunately, wellness tends to become something that, yeah, as it that maybe not as every day, but it becomes once a week.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It goes on the back burner, but I agree. I think you have to have a little bit of compassion with yourself if it's just not possible. Right, right. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah.
1: So. If you had any resource available to you, how would your day look different?
2: Um, I love this question. For me, because I was thinking about this, um, and I think, for, honestly, it would be a personal chef. Has anyone said that yet? <laughs>
1: um, no. <personally>.
2: <laughs> I, <laughs>
1: Excellent. <laughs>
2: As, as much as I love cooking and, and how much important dinner is with my family, it's I just wish that I c- could come home and everything was already made and I could just sit down and be with my kids.
1: So in terms of then how you set your priorities when you approach trying to figure out how to organize life, like how do you go about that? Is it is it intentional? Is it just kind of intrinsic to how you live or what's your process?
2: Yeah, and – For me, I think it's, um, my family, and and maybe from what all I've said right now, my family really does come first and it's really affected, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I I believe the decisions I've made have always been putting my family first and I know it's affected how, um, or even my trajectory of my career. When I, um, you know, I I took a step back from um, the research that I was doing Um, after I had my children, and um, so that I could be with them more. Um, And, and so, yeah, so definitely my family comes first. um, Mm -hmm. And that's really affected how I made my decisions. And then from there, um, yeah, certainly there's other aspects of, um, you know, your work and balancing work with your family. um, But that's That's always what's been the first thing that I've kind of considered and how would this look for the rest of my family?
1: How do you think we should cultivate our habits to help us live more balanced life? Like I I think in in medical school, at least we talk about a lot um, how to integrate wellness into your daily life. And so I wonder if you just have any thoughts on like how to cultivate those habits for young people or just throughout your journey.
2: Yeah, I, I think it has a lot to do with scheduling. And again, I. Yeah. I, I, um, you know, making it so much part of your daily routine that it's not, you know, um, an extra chore. It's not. um, So, yeah. So like I was saying before, really scheduling, you know, um, you know, getting up early all the time so that you do have that time for an extra run or, you know, scheduling Mm -hmm. um, certain time, you know, we, I know that there are certain days of the week that I'm always going to, You know be doing this with my children or doing that with my husband or something outside um so so yeah really making it yeah scheduling and and being really good about that and so it's kind
1: of automatic after a while Mm. you bring up such a good point that um just setting aside the time is half the battle (laughs) you know besides for just telling yourself you have to do it it actually needs to be the time in the day and so figuring out how to make that time in the day possible is so important
2: you know, it's really tough. Um yeah, in keeping your priorities balanced and also trying to have a life that reflects your priorities. It's really yeah. Definitely. Those change. So your times also change, you know. As you you know, I'm sure when my kids are and or even in a couple of years that they don't wanna hang out with me as much, you know. <laughs> um change as well. So
1: Yeah, yeah. Were there uh, pivotal challenges that you faced during your career?
2: In trying to keep um, a priority of, of what I love to do, which is, you know, science and research and trying to keep an intact family. And then having um, my husband matched actually to for a residency outside of New York in D.C. And I um, I was still, you know, working in this um, very competitive uh, lab and so trying mm. to this was it was a big challenge because for me I wanted to um, uh, keep our family together <laughs> I didn't see separating at the time we had two kids and I, I couldn't see separating our family for such a, a distance for um, that long of time so mm. that was a challenge because it meant I, I needed to stop um, my work in the lab. Yeah. So I actually stepped down, um, from my position. Yeah. And so I took a break. Um, you know, I, I got to spend more time with my kids, um, during that period. Mm -hmm. And, um, it was a short um, stretch, but, um, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: but I, and during that time I was able to um, publish a few things that were kind of sitting on the back burner while I was in Mm -hmm. uh, the lab. And so, um, that helped because you know when you stop working in lab you stop publishing usually and um, but I was grateful that I had a couple of projects going um, that weren't quite finished yet but um, were almost finished and um, and so I was able to um, still move my family down um, to DC and still get a couple of papers out at the same time so. So that, so I guess it goes back to also saying it's good to have multiple projects going. Um, yeah. You know, and I was, yeah, I was fortunate enough to be working with a couple of great graduate students and um, who really uh, continued on some work while, uh, when I left. So.
1: so then coming back from that, what was it like, you know, when you decided to go back to work a little bit more, was it, was it challenging to get that position back or what, what happened?
2: Yeah, um, I I think it was, it was maybe not so challenging to get the position back, but I think it was more of a, a challenge to kind of readjust everyone's expectations at home then, right? So, you mm-hmm. know, um, I, I think, but, you know, I think that, you know, as the kids um, got older also, they kind of expected it. And I think it was really nice. My daughter was actually very proud <laughs> that I went back mm-hmm. and, um, and I had said that. Um, and so, yeah, it's always a tough decision. You always feel a bit torn um, that maybe you're not spending enough time. Um, but I think it's also really great for your kids to see um, their parent with a job that they love and that they love doing. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's, yeah. important too. and and showing that you can have a job that you love and still, and still be there for your children and, and, still, you know, talk to them and, 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 you know what I mean? And still not that you don't talk to them, but I mean like, you know, be there for them too, when they need you the most. You know? Yeah,
1: definitely. Yeah, yeah definitely. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that. I don't think we've really had a chance to talk to anyone yeah. so far on this podcast that's had quite that experience. And I think it's important to recognize that um, like allowing your career to change and then coming back from that, Uh, It does happen. You just have to recognize that it will, you know, traverse various arenas of what that, what your career looks like. And yeah, I just think that's really, it's an important point. So thank you for bringing that up.
2: Yeah. And I think it's um, kind of going into it and knowing it's going to be okay. I think certainly, Mm -hmm. um, and certainly the graduate student of me early on would probably have been quite anxious about the whole thing. And I I have to say, I think Mm -hmm. I was too, stepping away from um, some Really neat research. Um, I think I surprised some of my colleagues when I, when I did do that um, and um, take you know the family, my family down to D.C. to be with you know my husband. But I think in the end, um, we it was. I'm I'm really happy with where we are right now, and I think that's and where my career is right now. So I think that's important to keep everything in perspective.
1: Yeah, definitely. So do you have a piece of advice for young women who are preparing for medical school and or graduate school in the sciences?
2: Yeah, I think for that, my biggest piece of advice and um, is really to find something you're truly passionate about. I know um, maybe people have said that before, um, but it, it's so true. I remember my parents would always say that, you know, anyone can find a job and its work is gonna be work, but if you're truly love what you do it's not work anymore and I think that, that I've been fortunate enough to have great mentors who kind of pushed me to chase after things that I do love um, and and in doing so I really am you know it, in a position where I feel like I, even though I'm working I, I'm doing something that I enjoy so much and it's not it makes that when you're really busy not feel so bur- like a burden, you know, mm-hmm. because you still mm-hmm. at the end of the day are, are loving what you do. And I think that's, that's the most important thing for, for, you know, college, graduate school or medical school, you know, chasing after something that you, you're you going to enjoy go- waking up and going to every day.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Cruzio, for taking this time. This was a great conversation. I'm happy that we were able to have it together.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Cruzio, for coming to join us here at Essential Wisdom and for being willing to share your story. This was an absolutely wonderful episode, and I'm just so excited that we're able to share it with our listeners. To all the listeners out there, thank you for continuing to tune in. We're approaching the end of the season of Essential Wisdom, Inspiring Future Female Physicians, and there's lots of content to go look back at. So if you're interested in looking at a little bit more about each of these women physicians, you can check us out online. We have a website. uh, URL is essential wisdom inspiring physicians.com, all one word, no capitals, and no dashes. Essential wisdom inspiring You can stream this podcast at Apple Podcasts, at Spotify Podcasts, on the website, as well as at essential wisdom.buzzsprout.com. And Please share this with your friends. You know, if you guys are enjoying this, share it with people who are considering their career in medicine. I hope that they will find the advice as helpful as I have. So, don't forget to tune in for our last episode coming up at the end of this week, um, tomorrow, actually, on Thursday. So, thank you for coming on this journey with us. Have a good week.